Hi, I'm Mel Clark, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. Ten years ago, Julia Gillard stood up in Parliament and called out the sexism she'd been subjected to as Australia's first and only female Prime Minister. It struck a chord with women and became known as the misogyny speech. Today, 7.30's chief political correspondent, Laura Tingle, on the significance of that moment and what it means now. And a warning, this episode contains some coarse language. that the motion be agreed to. I call the Prime Minister. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker, and I rise to oppose the motion moved by the Leader of the Opposition. And in so doing, I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the Laura, take me back to that moment. Where were you when Julia Gillard delivered the misogyny speech? Uh, I was in my office in the press gallery, which is up in the top floor of Parliament House, uh, listening to Question Time. Frankly, Melissa, because my hearing's not so good as it used to be, (laughs) and often it was so noisy in the chamber, I literally couldn't hear what was being said. Uh, So I would watch it on um, the monitors in Parliament House from my desk so that I could keep a better tap of what was going on. You really had to, uh, from my perspective, not be in there to hear it. The Leader of the Opposition said, what the housewives of Australia need to understand as they do the ironing. Thank you for that painting of women's roles in modern Australia. And And so when you were hearing Julia Gillard deliver those powerful words... What were you thinking at the time? Uh, well, I was thinking, whoa, that's pretty, um, <laughs> this is pretty amazing. In fact, I remember I messaged my news desk in Sydney and I said, there's something happening here at the moment. You know, this is, there's something pretty significant happening. sitting in this chair. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition went outside in the front of Parliament and stood next to a sign that said, ditch the witch. I was offended. Laura, can you explain the context to this moment, to this speech? Because there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, we've got to remember that the Labor government basically was in office uh, with the support of the crossbench in the House of Representatives at, at that time. The view of the crossbench by a lot of the media establishment and the electorate at that time was not as benign as it is now. Um, they were very hostile to the idea of minority government. Uh, Tony Abbott had sort of whipped up this sort of idea that government was unstable. The coalition had this belief that on any particular day in the House of Representatives, they could move a motion which would defeat the government um, and bring it down on the floor of the parliament. So there was high stakes involved. I move that the member for Fisher, Peter Slipper, do take the chair of this House as Speaker. Labor had installed um, the former Coalition MP, Peter Slipper, as Speaker as a way of shoring up its numbers. The member proposed Mr Slipper has been elected as Speaker. The, the appointment of Peter Slipper was to have 
a Liberal in the Speaker's chair so that they didn't have to have a Labor MP in the Speaker's chair and they would have an extra number on the floor and that would make their minority government a, a little a little safer. That was the rationale? That's Yes, that's, that's right. So you put a, a coalition MP in the Speaker's seat and you're effectively depriving the coalition of a number in the, in the uh, very finely balanced parliament. But Peter Slipper was under uh, intense attack from his former colleagues in the coalition and uh, on the day of this speech, um, a story had appeared which sort of had some very, uh, re- reported him with some very offensive language about women. All allegations are denied. You deny that you sent your staff an inappropriate text? I've just said that all allegations are denied and have a lovely day. And that was the, the speech was actually in response to a push to try to challenge the speaker's position because of this offensive language he'd used about women. demanding the former Liberal and married father of two resign from his high-profile position. Now, Julie Gillard, the, the, the crucial thing was that she, she had copped all of this appalling language and abuse that had been hurled at her, you know, all the ditch, the witch, you know, she should be sac- put in a second drowned, you know, all, all that really revolting stuff. The woman's off her tree. And quite frankly, they should shove her and Bob Brown in a chaff bag and take them as far out to sea as they can. Possibly it could read, if we were going to be politically correct, that Julia is Bob Brown's female dog. Well, the crowd here has been calling Julie Gillard a bitch, a dictator and a liar. leader Tony Abbott joined the demonstrators. I look out on this crowd of fine Australians. The view had been in Labor ranks uh, amongst Labor women. They wanted... And, and Julie Gillard wanted to be judged as a prime minister, not as a female prime minister. And they they tried to ignore all of this appalling stuff. They thought, you know, that it, it was sort of a minority view and you only encouraged it and gave it sort of status if you addressed it directly. Uh, what snapped that day was she just decided, no, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she recalls that she went to her chief of staff who was sitting in the uh, advisor's box when this motion was put by Tony Abbott to talk about Peter Slipper's behaviour to say, I'm going to take this as in the government was going to accept the fact that there would be a debate in the House rather than close it down. She said, I'm going to take this because I don't want it. To, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this shit. In modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what he needs. Let's go through the opposition leader's repulsive double standards, repulsive double standards when it comes to misogyny and sexism. We are now supposed to take seriously that the Leader of the Opposition is offended by Mr Slipper's... Did you get any sense of how the Coalition was reacting to the speech at the time in the Chamber? Did Do you think they had a grasp of how big this moment would become? I think they were shocked that she fought back. Uh, I remember seeing... Uh, the, the shots of uh, Tony Abbott, who sort of went all sort of still after a while. And Julia Gillard was, you know, one of the last great parliamentarians. Uh, and she made her name really as a parliamentarian by some absolute sort of crushing speeches, you know, on the run. And she sort of, she gave them both barrels. And I think they were shocked by it. I think they started off laughing it off a bit. I don't think they probably realised how it was playing out uh, 
uh, in the broader world at that time. Of course, it was a pretty amazing day in the parliament. Two years of anger boiled over with the opposition leader and the prime minister exchanging insults and invective during a rare move to... And it, I think it's that element that has resonated so much that the idea that a, a female in a, in a position of power has taken on board so much and reaches a threshold. I feel that that idea that there's a threshold upon which women were no longer willing to tolerate this sort of sexist language, behaviour, attitudes that they deal with in the workplace, that that is what has resonated with people beyond the political circumstances in which the speech was given. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it, it did resonate out in beyond the, the walls of Parliament House hugely and everybody who's ever sort of sit th- sat there and sort of smiled through gritted teeth at, you know, appalling behaviour by male colleagues. And in some ways it had the pushback by Julia Gillard against Tony Abbott's misogynistic comments about her resonated more outside the building, frankly, I think, than it did inside. I was a reporter in the press gallery at the time as well, and and I recall the intense focus on the status of the minority government and uh, the coalition had, as as you mentioned, created this impression that it could fall at any moment. So this debate about the numbers uh, that kept Labor in power were central to the stability of the government. Do you think, in hindsight, that a lot of the mainstream media missed the power of the moment? Or is there also a need for the news to focus on the daily political thrust? Uh, Well, you know, I've been heckled at various writers' festivals over the years for trying to explain this context um, uh, because people said, we don't care if the government fell on the day. And and I would say... (laughs) I reckon you probably would have if it had happened, you know, just saying. And our job is to report on, you know, the status of the government. Uh, if You know, the, the idea that the government was going to fall was a pretty big one, you know, to me. It still is 10 years later. Um, I think having said that, uh, I, I mean, I think back on it a lot and everybody agonises about it. Um, I think that a lot of my male colleagues didn't recognise it. Uh, you know, in, in its social context, I know I certainly had terrible trouble getting it mentioned in the newspaper I was working for at the time. It wasn't considered a, a standalone item or, or worthy of, of, of treatment on, on the basis of its content alone. N- no, not even as a moment of parliamentary drama. I don't think it sort of featured in the sketch of the day uh, either. I think a lot of the blokes did miss that. Uh, you know, it did raise questions about whether the gallery was out of touch. Mm. We had become very focused for 10 years or 20 years on um, the economic agenda and then on the national sec- security agenda. There wasn't really a lot of reflection or discussion in the political debate, not just amongst journalists, but in the political debate about social issues, the sorts of things that we talk about now, like uh, marriage equality abortion even, um, transgender rights, they just weren't discussed. What about outside of politics? It, it seems that calling out sexist behaviour is more commonplace now, which which is a good thing, but I'm not convinced that we're seeing less sexist behaviour as a result. What do you think? I think I think it has changed over the last 10 years. I don't know how much of it you attribute to the Julia Gillard speech, but I think it has changed. People have become conscious they've got to be a little bit more careful with their words. You know, there seem to be more mechanisms in place 
to force, you know, whether it's boards or managers to account for their actions and make sure that, you know, they aren't doing something on the grounds of sexism. But it's always out there, I think, Mel. It's just the way it is. I don't think it's as bad and it's certainly not as uh, transparent as it was 10 years ago. Always progress to be made. Always. Laura Tingle is the Chief Political Correspondent for 7.30. This episode was produced by Sydney Peed and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. Over the weekend, we'll be bringing you an episode from our colleagues at ABC Sport Daily. Keep an eye out for that on Saturday. And Sam Hawley will be back hosting on Monday. I'm Mel Clark. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.